0: You're about to hear our episode about the weird, complicated four years that Mitch McConnell spent working with Donald Trump. But first, real quick, I just want you to think about your local NPR member station. Maybe you listen to it every day, maybe you don't, and you just like NPR podcasts like this one. Either way, I can promise you that giving to that station right now, as we close out a year that has been so intense, will make a huge difference. Most of us who work at Embedded at one point or another worked at or with an NPR member station, so we can say from experience, they are everything. They are dedicated and hardworking people who cover important local news that often would not get covered otherwise. They also help pay for NPR's national programming, like Embedded, and any other NPR podcast you like. And the thing is, 2020 has been hard for them, too. So please consider donating right now to your NPR station. Whatever you can do is fine. Please, do it. Go to donate.npr.org embedded. Again, that's donate.npr.org embedded. Thanks. Here's the show. Last week, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, for the first time in weeks, acknowledged that Donald Trump will not be the president in January. Sort of. McConnell was talking about a COVID relief package being negotiated by Congress.
2: And I think we all know that after the first of the year, there's likely to be a discussion about additional, uh, some additional package of some size uh, next year, depending upon uh, what the new administration wants to uh, pursue.
0: And that was it. The new administration. This dance is one that McConnell and other Republicans have been doing for the last four years. Trump does a thing that critics say is outrageous, in this case refusing to acknowledge that he lost the election. Reporters ask McConnell to comment on the thing, and McConnell mostly stays quiet. Because to diss Trump would be to alienate millions of people in McConnell's own party who voted for Trump. Trump, of course, is on his way out. McConnell is still in. He just got reelected. Though whether he keeps a majority in the Senate will be determined by two runoff elections in Georgia next month. In today's episode, we're going to go back to Trump's presidency and look at this complicated relationship between McConnell and Trump. Because to understand how McConnell worked with Trump, is to understand how over many decades McConnell has been able to see which direction his party is going, go that direction too, and continue to stay in power. Okay, here's the original episode. Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers. And I'm Eric mental And this is Embedded from NPR. In the summer of 2016, it was pretty clear that Donald Trump was going to be the Republican nominee for president. By June... He had upset or insulted so many different people, though. There was a lot of doubt that he could
3: actually win a
0: general election.
3: He'd insulted Mexicans, Megyn Kelly, the Pope. He said John McCain wasn't a war hero, mocked a reporter with a disability, failed to denounce a former KKK Grand Wizard, proposed banning all Muslims from entering the U.S., and said a federal judge whose parents came from Mexico could not be impartial in a lawsuit against Trump University because Trump was promising to build a wall to keep immigrants out.
0: At the same time, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell happened to be on tour for his memoir, The Long Game. You've heard us quote from the book in this series. To promote the book, McConnell was doing a lot of interviews, and interviewers wanted to know what Mitch McConnell thought of Donald Trump. And it was clear McConnell was not happy with Trump's behavior. What he
2: said was outrageous and inappropriate. And I couldn't more strongly condemn that.
0: This is Mitch McConnell with Judy Woodruff on PBS after Trump insulted the judge whose parents immigrated from Mexico. If he doesn't back
4: off, what are the implications?
2: Well, he needs to back off. There are plenty of things he ought to be talking about rather than taking shots at Americans uh, because of their ethnicity.
3: It needs to stop. And yet... It's on the same book tour that McConnell says, despite how frustrated he was with the guy, he was going to support him.
5: The, the, the choice uh, for many Americans is not a happy choice.
3: This is
0: McConnell on Bloomberg's Masters in Politics podcast.
5: But this is the choice. And I think for me and I hope for a lot of others, the question is, do we want four more years just like the last eight or do we want to go in a different direction? Uh, For all of his obvious shortcomings, Donald Trump is certainly a different direction. And I think if he is in the White House, he'll have to respond to the right-of-center world which elected him and the things that we believe in. I'm comfortable supporting him. It's pretty obvious he doesn't know a lot about uh, the issues. You see that in in the debates in which he's participated.
0: And the host, Betsy Fisher Martin, is like, wait, if Trump doesn't know a lot about the issues, then are you going to be comfortable with him nominating someone to the Supreme Court?
3: Because, remember, whoever won the election was going to get to fill an empty Supreme Court seat, a seat that was open because Mitch McConnell refused to hold a vote on President Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland.
5: I know what you get with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> It'll be somebody uh, Well, like, but Merrick Garland
1: it, is a moderate justice. Oh,
5: no, he's not. No, he's not. We've studied his record pretty closely. He always comes out on
0: the left. McConnell says he has no doubt that Trump will nominate a conservative justice. It's almost like, relax, I've got this. But then, at one point, the host asks a question that is on a lot of people's minds.
1: Is there a line that he could cross that you would decide you couldn't support him anymore?
0: I'm not not
5: going to, to speculate about what he might say or what I might do, but I think it's pretty clear. I've been very clear publicly about how I think he ought to change directions, and I hope that's what
3: we're going to see. Trump did not change. Later in the campaign, he insulted a Muslim Gold Star family. He encouraged Russia to hack Hillary Clinton's emails. And then, just a few weeks before Election Day, the Access Hollywood video leaked, where Trump bragged about sexually assaulting women.
0: And for a minute, people thought Trump was doomed. And
2: Republicans in competitive elections rushed to condemn the comments, calling them offensive, inappropriate, outrageous, demeaning, disgraceful, indefensible and impossible to justify. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell called on Trump to, quote, apologize directly to women and girls everywhere.
0: After this, though, Mitch McConnell essentially goes quiet.
3: Even after Donald Trump is asked if he will accept the results of the election, win or lose, in other words, if he will respect the Constitution, and he refuses to say yes. I want to
0: hear from Mitch McConnell. I want to hear from Paul Ryan. — This is Howard Feynman at MSNBC's live post-debate panel. — Especially from Mitch
2: McConnell, who considers himself a constitutional statesman and somebody who protects the integrity of the system. I want to hear from him on what Donald Trump
0: said tonight. — But we did not hear from McConnell. And almost three weeks later, Donald Trump won the election. Republicans kept their majority in the Senate, And Mitch McConnell kept his job.
2: I hope you're having as good a day
0: as I am. (laughs) The job, he says in his book, he had aspired to for decades.
1: Can you characterize how you see the Senate majority's relationship with President-elect Trump? Is it to be a partner? Is it to be a facilitator
0: of his agenda?
2: We look forward to working with him. I think most of the things that he's likely to advocate we're going to be enthusiastically for. Where we have differences of opinion, I expect to discuss them privately and not sort of hashing them out in public.
3: Mitch McConnell has spent a lifetime learning how to win. It's what we've been reporting on this whole series. How he used his lack of charisma to his advantage. How he wasn't afraid to make enemies. And how he worked the system to further his and his party's interests. And he's still doing all of that. Only now,
0: with Donald Trump. This unpredictable anti-establishment president. And together, they are reshaping the country in ways that affect us all. That's our show today. The unlikely politician and the most unlikely of presidents. After the break.
3: When the economic news gets to be a bit much.
6: Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money. We're here for you, like your friends, trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. One story, one idea, every day. All in 10 minutes or less.
3: The Indicator from Planet Money. Your friendly economic sidekick.
6: From NPR.
3: There's a lot to stay on top of on any given day. You might have to break things down into smaller pieces in order to keep up. That's why we're introducing the new Consider This newsletter from NPR. Every weekday, we sift through all the day's news and bring you one big story in an easily skimmable format. So you become a mini-expert on a major topic each day. Sign up for free at npr.org slash newsletter. The Bullseye
4: podcast is, according to one journalist, the, quote, kind of show people listen to in a more perfect world. So make your world more perfect. Every week, Bullseye puts the pop in culture, interviewing brilliant authors, musicians, actors, and novelists to keep you on your pop culture target. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun.
1: Writer Baratunde Thurston says this democracy experiment requires more than just voting.
3: This is incumbent on all of us. It takes two. It takes two to make a thing go right. It (laughs) takes two to knock it out of sight. And both parties, in a national-level discourse, both sides have to still remain committed.
1: How to be a good citizen. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Okay, we are back.
0: And before we can get to Trump and McConnell's relationship, we need to go back to the first time many people heard of Mitch McConnell. It was six years before Trump got elected during an interview in 2010.
4: Senator Mitch McConnell did an interview with National Journal, In it, he said, quote, The single most important thing we want to achieve is for President Obama to be a one-term president.
5: Mitch McConnell says our goal, our priority politically, make this man a one-term president. How do you go? What about governing? Forget it.
6: I mean, the next two years, there isn't going to be any government.
3: Mitch McConnell says the one-term president quote was taken out of context, that he went on to say... I don't want the president to fail, I want him to change. Basically that if Obama's views on things got closer to McConnell's, he would be willing to do business with him.
0: But for most of Obama's presidency, McConnell did not do business with Obama. He and other members of his party did everything they could to block things like Obamacare and to block many of Obama's nominations to the federal court.
3: And probably McConnell's most notable act of obstructionism was after Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died. And McConnell refused to hold a vote on Obama's nomination to fill the seat. Merrick Garland. Dahlia Lithwick covers the courts for Slate.
6: He announced within hours of Justice Scalia's death in February 2016 that no one was going to fill that seat. It didn't matter who the person was. People thought that was audacious. People thought it was shocking. For for a moment, everybody said, This has never been done before. This can't happen. And he just stuck to it. And people will just accede to it over time. And that's exactly what happened. If you believe that this is a fight to the death, all the norms fall away. And then see if people can live with that. And I think that that's been Mitch McConnell's MO long before they swore Donald Trump in.
0: The thing is, Mitch McConnell's Supreme Court move ended up being very good for Donald Trump. Back in 2016, when some Republicans were worried Trump wasn't conservative enough. This according to Al Cross, who has covered Mitch McConnell for decades and has been our guiding hand throughout this series.
4: There was a considerable reluctance among evangelicals and religiously oriented conservatives to accept this guy, this objectionable person, as the nominee of the Republican Party. Once they saw there was policy to be accomplished through that election, they said fine.
0: So I asked Al how instrumental he thought that was to getting Trump elected.
4: He wouldn't have been elected without it.
3: Once elected, one of the first things President Trump did, not even two weeks after the inauguration, was nominate a conservative justice to the open Supreme Court seat, Neil Gorsuch.
6: We are gathered here today for a truly momentous occasion in our democracy, the swearing in of a United States Supreme Court justice.
3: At the swearing in ceremony, Trump was sure to acknowledge McConnell.
6: Today, I especially want to express our gratitude to Senator Mitch McConnell for all that he did to make this achievement possible. So thank you, Mitch.
0: Mitch McConnell had gotten what he wanted, a Republican president, a conservative Supreme Court justice. But it became clear pretty quickly that the Donald Trump of the campaign had not gone away.
3: And as one of the most powerful people in the country, Mitch McConnell was going to be expected to answer the question. If Donald Trump crosses a line, will you stand up to him?
0: And that was never more pressing than after Charlottesville.
3: It was August 2017. President Trump said there were very fine people on both sides of a white supremacist rally. And Mitch McConnell did not criticize Trump the way he did on book tour. He did not say, this needs to stop.
0: What he did do was issue a statement, quote... There are no good neo-Nazis, and those who espouse their views are not supporters of American ideals and freedoms. The statement rebukes Trump's remarks, but does not have Trump's name in it. It doesn't even mention the president.
3: We specifically asked Mitch McConnell why he did not mention the president, and he did not answer why. He said, "...messages of hate and bigotry are not welcome in Kentucky and should not be welcome anywhere in America."
0: In January of 2019, it was McConnell who became the focus of many people's anger at Washington. People including New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Okay,
1: guys, we went to Mitch McConnell's office. where We went to the Senate cloakroom. Hashtag, where's Mitch?
3: At the time, the country was in the middle of this big crisis. President Trump wanted Congress to
0: authorize $5 billion for a wall at the U.S.-Mexico border. And when he didn't get that funding, he let parts of the federal government shut down.
3: You might remember this. Democrats in the House kept passing bills to reopen the government without the border wall money. And Ocasio-Cortez was saying the Senate should vote on these bills, too. But the Senate majority leader, who gets to decide what the
0: Senate votes on, is, of course, Mitch McConnell, and he says there will be no vote. So, Ocasio-Cortez and some other new Congresswomen walk the halls with cameras following them, trying to deliver a letter to McConnell, asking him to call the vote.
1: The House has voted to reopen government several times. We have the votes in the Senate. It's Mitch McConnell who refuses to call a vote on it. He's not in the Russell building, he's not in the floor of the Senate, and 800,000 people don't have their paychecks. So where's Mitch?
6: This shutdown, now belongs to Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump started it, and Mitch McConnell is doing everything he can to keep it going for Donald Trump. But the
1: Democrats
3: have voted nine times to reopen the government. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell refuses to take up any of those measures. He and Donald Trump are responsible for those 800,000 people who are not working or who are working, who are not being paid.
6: It's McConnell, do your
5: job!
3: We should say, McConnell's reasoning here was Why should I pass a bill that I know the president will veto? McConnell would then need two-thirds of the Senate to override a presidential veto, and it's not clear he had the votes. What was clear is he did not want to go against the president.
0: The shutdown ended up being the longest in history, 35 days. Trump eventually did agree to reopen the government, saying Congress had three weeks to figure out
3: how to fund the border wall. But that did not happen. So Trump went around Congress and he declared a national emergency so he could get the money to build the border wall anyway.
0: And Mitch McConnell, who has long been on the record as being against shutdowns.
3: Mitch McConnell has said no more government shutdowns. He didn't think it was
0: a smart idea. In 2013, he called them a losing strategy. And who has been against presidential overreach. Under President Obama, he said executive orders were undemocratic.
2: The action he's proposed would ignore the law would reject the voice of the voters.
0: A man who many people say believes deeply in the institution of the Senate.
2: I've just had an opportunity to speak with President Trump. Got on board. And I've indicated to him that I'm going to prepare, I'm going to support the National Emergency Declaration.
0: McConnell told us, quote, there was and continues to be a clear border security and humanitarian crisis on our southern border.
4: McConnell embracing the national emergency was one of the most uncharacteristic things he has ever done.
3: This is Al Cross again.
4: Because he is an institutionalist. He knows there's no national emergency. He knows that if Congress were to exercise its proper role, it would countermand that emergency declaration. But he's running for reelection. So the institutional concerns fade very quickly.
0: The fact that Mitch McConnell is up for re-election in 2020, Al Cross says, is the most important thing to understanding McConnell's relationship with
3: Donald Trump. Because in Kentucky, Donald Trump has an approval rating around 55%. Mitch McConnell's approval rating is around 36%, according to a morning consult poll back in April.
4: He certainly has, as his prime directive right now, getting re-elected in Kentucky. And because Donald Trump is very popular in Kentucky, that means not getting too much distance between himself and Donald Trump.
0: Alcross says one way McConnell has been able to keep winning in Kentucky despite his unpopularity is that he adapts to where he sees the party is going. And right now, in Kentucky at least, the party is going with Donald Trump.
3: Mitch McConnell himself likes to say, if you don't win, you have to go home. You don't get to make a difference. Here's ProPublica journalist Alec McGillis, who wrote a book about McConnell.
4: For Mitch McConnell, winning is all. At the end of the day, it is all about what you can do to set yourself up to win the next time. And that's, of course, true to some degree of all politicians, all candidates. But it's more true of him than anyone.
3: Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump don't have a lot in common. But they do like winning. In the first two years of Trump's presidency, they tried getting legislation passed and had mixed results. But there are ways to change laws that don't involve legislation. Here's McConnell on conservative commentator Hugh Hewitt's radio show.
5: When we did comprehensive tax reform 30 years ago, it lasted four years. What I want to do is make a lasting contribution to the country.
0: That lasting contribution to the country? After this break.
1: From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the
0: latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday.
6: You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day, we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news. We take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day.
1: On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant— and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR. Hey,
0: before we get back to the show, just a reminder to help out your local NPR station, which also helps this show and all of your favorite NPR podcasts. Go to donate.npr.org embedded. Thanks. Before we get back to the show, we should say that strategy of Mitch McConnell's that Al Cross talked about not getting too much distance between himself and Donald Trump did work. In November 2020, Mitch McConnell was reelected to his seat in the Senate by the state of Kentucky. He won by 20 points. This despite the fact that his popularity rating is still low. Okay, here's the show.
3: If you were to walk into the Senate chamber these days, it is highly unlikely you would get to watch any actual legislation being passed. What's more likely is that you'd see Mitch McConnell standing at a podium doing one of his favorite things, reading a list of nominees to the federal courts.
2: Howard Nielsen of Utah, Stephen Clark of Missouri, Carl Nichols of the District of Columbia and Kenneth Bell of North Carolina.
0: A lot of these nominations are possible because Mitch McConnell and other Republicans spent years blocking President Obama's nominations to the same seats. And now that Republicans control both the Senate and the White House, they have been incredibly efficient at filling these vacancies. Vacancies they, in part, helped create.
3: We hear a lot about the nine justices who sit on the Supreme Court. But the vast, vast majority of federal cases are heard by other federal judges. Just below the Supreme Court, at the appeals court level, there are spots for 179 judges. And a level below that, the district courts, there are more than 600 seats for judges.
0: And these appointments have the potential to change a lot of things that people
1: care about. Immigration, criminal justice reform, the environment, voting rights, the First Amendment, religious rights... Most of those issues are decided in federal courts. Jessica Levinson teaches at Loyola Law School. People sometimes say, you know, what if I was a one-issue voter? What should be my one issue? And I always say the court. It's not just the Supreme Court, but it's the entire federal branch that really matters because they make decisions that impact people's daily lives. The way it
0: works is President Trump sends names of nominees to the Senate. And the Senate has to vote on whether or not to approve. The person who decides when these votes happen is, of course, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And lately, he has been pushing through a lot of them.
1: The record-breaking pace is a significant victory for conservatives and for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. He's made confirming judges his highest priority.
3: More than 20 percent of circuit court judges are now Trump appointees. That's in just two and a half years. By many accounts, Mitch McConnell has been more willing than most majority leaders to change the rules for how these nominees get through.
0: For example, these things called blue slips, which used to allow a home state senator to decide whether a nominee got through. Now those are gone for some
3: nominees. And American Bar Association ratings. They were a sort of stamp of approval, saying whether a nominee was qualified to be a judge or not. Those matter a lot less now. Trump has nominated six people who were deemed not qualified three of whom have gotten through. Though, to be fair, conservatives have long thought the ABA ratings favor liberals.
0: And just recently, Mitch McConnell voted to change Senate rules again so that rather than having to debate these nominations for 30 hours each, now they only need to be debated for two hours. McConnell's explanation? He says, historically, there had been more bipartisan agreement on these nominations. And now the Democrats are using those 30 hours to slow down the process.
4: And that to me is almost the central hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell.
0: Again, this is ProPublica journalist Alec McGillis.
4: He presents himself as this great institutionalist, this person who is loves the Senate, Senate history and Senate procedure. But at the same time, he has done more than anyone to degrade the, the norms of the Senate. And it's so completely at odds with his alleged desire to be the guardian of this institution.
0: When we asked about this, McConnell pointed out that Democrats have changed the rules,
3: too. These appointments, they have been a big win for both Mitch McConnell and for President Trump. More than almost any other issue, it is the thing they have united on. Because these are lifetime appointments. And several of these
0: nominees are only in their 30s and 40s. Mitch McConnell is making sure conservative judges will be in place for decades. Here's McConnell on Hugh Hewitt's radio show again.
5: So the administration is paying a lot of attention to not only whether they're strict constructionists, which we think is important, but also uh, trying to find people as young as possible. I remember one week, a few weeks ago, we confirmed a 37-year-old woman for the Fourth Circuit and a 39-year-old man for the Sixth Circuit.
0: McConnell told us confirming judges is, quote, clearly the most long-lasting contribution
1: we can make to the country. He's in the process of entirely reshaping one of the three branches of our government. Jessica Levinson again. Even if President Trump was impeached tomorrow, removed from office the next day, we're going to feel the effects of his presidency, potentially even for generations to come. He knows that this is his moment, and I think that's why he's essentially decided to become as friendly as possible with President Trump.
6: That's right. USA and hello, Kentucky. Thank you.
0: Richmond, Kentucky. Thousands of people in a big university coliseum.
3: It's just before the 2018 midterms, and President Trump is stumping for a Republican running for Congress.
0: But there is another Republican Trump wants to talk about.
6: And I'll tell you something. We have a man, one of the most powerful men in the world. It's okay. Comes from Kentucky. That's not bad. Gotta respect him. And he heard about this. He says, I want to be there. He's one of yours. He's joining us tonight.
3: Mitch McConnell, in a he suit, is down. waiting stage. stage. cookie
6: I know tough people, he's tough. He's Kentucky tough, which is about as tough. He stared down the angry left-wing mob. He never blinked and he never looked back. And he got us a man who will be one of our great, great Supreme Court justices. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Come up, Mitch. Come
3: up. This rally was just 10 days after Brett Kavanaugh was sworn into the Supreme Court. After Christine Blasey Ford accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault, an accusation Kavanaugh denies.
2: Thank you, Kentucky. Aren't we proud of President Trump?
0: Watching this now, I can't help but think of Mitch McConnell back in the 70s the unlikely politician who was just starting his career. He didn't have grand policy visions. He didn't make stirring speeches. But as he learned when he was running for student council in high school, he knew he had to win over the popular kids. Get the support of the people that mattered. Union members, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump.
2: Let me just add, thanks to President Trump and Republican Senate... 84 new federal judges already this Congress. That's already a record, Mr. President. Keep sending them our way and we'll keep confirming them and change the court system forever. Thank you for being here.
6: Thank you. And Mitch is a true fighter for Kentucky. Loves his state. And, you know, we'll be running together in 2020. That'll be a lot of fun.
0: The other day, I noticed that phrase Trump used about Mitch McConnell, Kentucky tough, is now the banner on McConnell's re-election Twitter account. Al Cross says once McConnell decided to do business with Trump, back in 2016, he also had to decide that a lot of the other stuff that Donald Trump does and says... It's going to have to be okay.
4: I think one of the most important things McConnell has done is normalize Donald Trump. He treats him as an entirely legitimate president, someone whose behavior I'm sure he abhors, but never says anything about that publicly unless it's a half to case like Charlottesville, and then doesn't even use his name in the written statement. Donald Trump is not a normal president, but Mitch McConnell has uh, done a lot to make him seem normal, largely by not talking about the abnormal things.
3: Mitch McConnell has been talking about a lot of other things lately, more than he usually does.
0: He proudly calls himself the Grim Reaper
3: for leaving the Democrats' bills to
0: die by not bringing them up for a vote in the Senate. He says the proposal for Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood is full-bore socialism. And when Congress held hearings on reparations for African Americans, McConnell said slavery was so long ago it would be hard to know who to compensate. Americans dealt with the original sin of slavery, he said, in part by electing Barack Obama.
3: And on a recent visit to Kentucky, someone asked him if a Supreme Court seat came open again, close to the next presidential election, what would he do? Would he keep it open the way he kept Scalia's seat open? Oh, we'd fill it.
0: (laughs) Oh, we'd fill it. Democrats were outraged. Critics said it was the height of hypocrisy. But McConnell said, now that he and the president are both Republicans, unlike when Obama was president, Filling the seat would be fair game. Al Cross says he was not surprised by McConnell's comment. It was pragmatic, shrewd, unyielding, the McConnell he has watched for years. But there was something about it that did surprise him an uncharacteristic bit of emotion.
4: He gave a little smirk before he gave the answer We fill it. I think he was quite pleased with his ability to manipulate the process and pleased that he is in the position that he is to drive that process. I think that's what the smirk was about.
0: Mitch McConnell, of course, did fill that seat after Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And despite the fact that her dying wish was to let a new president fill the seat... Just days before the election, McConnell's Senate approved Justice Amy Coney Barrett. By now, December 2020, Mitch McConnell's Senate has confirmed 237 federal judges who will serve lifetime appointments. This episode was written by Eric Menel and me and produced by Eric with help from Tom Dreisbach and Lisa Pollack. It was edited by Mark Mehmet and Deirdre Walsh. Legal help was from Steven Sandsberg Our researcher is Susie Cummings. Huge thanks to NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis. Our theme song is by Colin Wamsgans. Additional music by Ramteen Arablouei and Blue Dot Sessions. The audio you heard of the shutdown at Mitch McConnell's Kentucky office came from the Louisville Courier-Journal. Thanks also to Antonio Ferrier, Josh Holmes, Scott Jennings, Christopher Schuler, Ryan Akelin, Christy Dema, Cinnamon Howell, Vicky Martin, and all the great people at Louisville Public Media. Alec McGillis's book is called *The Cynic*. Mitch McConnell's book is called *The Long Game*. Al Cross directs the Institute for Rural Journalism and Community Issues at the University of Kentucky. You can read his columns in the Louisville Courier Journal. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Hit us up on Twitter at NPR Embedded, and come back next week for more. When you finally will get to hear from the Senate Majority Leader himself.
2: I think there are two kinds of people in politics. Those who want to make a point, those who want to make a difference. I want to make a difference.
0: That's coming up on Embedded from NPR. This update was produced by Justine Yan. The Essential Mitch series is produced by Raina Cohen, edited by Jenny Schmidt. And our supervising producer is
1: Nicole Beemsterboer.
3: For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR.
1: Every weekday, NPR's best
0: political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics Podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened. We tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon
3: to understand the world through political eyes. Numbers that explain the economy. We love them at the Indicator from Planet Money. And on Fridays, we discuss indicators in the news, like job numbers, spending, the cost of food, sometimes all three.
6: So my indicator is about why you might need to bring home more bacon to afford your eggs.
3: I'll be here all week. Wrap up your week and listen to the Indicator podcast from NPR.